This is Delta Block 7 to base. Base over. Uh, approaching primary target uh, acquisition in five seconds. Should be approximately 30 seconds away. Ground to air, ground to air, ground to air. Hold on, I've been hit, I've been hit! The season spectacular is here. Fall Brawl 94, emanating from Roanoke, Virginia. Major malfunction in all computer operators. Each telemetry. Over. Tonight, two titles will be up for grabs as Johnny B. Bad challenges Lloyd Steven for the world television title. Stunning Steve tries to recapture the U.S. title from the fire-breathing Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Cactus Jack has had enough with the Sullivans. He and Kevin will lock it up. The loser must leave WCW. And Pretty Wonderful defends the world tag title as stars and stripes go for the glory. In the main event, the Kings will be lord and the war games begin as eight men climb into the battlefield to take team sports to the limit in war games. I didn't think it was going to be particularly good, but I did think that I'd enjoy it because I think I'd enjoy some of the faces I saw. Some of the faces, i.e. some of the names of the people, or just the literal faces? I just wanted to see some faces. I'd not seen many faces. So I just thought, you know what, it'd be good to see some faces. Good to see some 1994 faces. I think that's what I wanted to see, because they'd remind me of the 1994 World Cup. So I was expecting John Aldridge to be screaming at a reference assistant for not letting him come on as a sub, as one of the Irish players was basically dead from heat exhaustion. So I was expecting to see Ray Houghton chip the Italy keeper, whose name I now can't remember, which is annoying. And obviously, I was expecting to see Diana Ross strike (laughs) one wide. Was it still Walter Zenger then, or was that was it, it had been someone else by then? At that point, it was either him or um, former AC Milan keeper Casaragi. Oh, I don't know. I thought that was a striker. I don't know. Wasn't Casaragi the one who got signed by Chelsea and then got like broke his leg in the, the third match with yes. them and never played again or something? He is indeed. Yeah, apparently an absolutely lovely man, hmm. and everyone was heartbroken when it happened to him. Apart from me, because I didn't like him. <laughs> Well, you you are old enough to remember him during his bad days. So I am. No, no. Now, all jokes aside, I was very sad when he broke his leg. It was a very sad day for me and my family. <laughs> it was it was uh, like 25 years ago now, so I think you probably got over it by this point. No, I don't think so, mate. I don't think so. And the trouble is, as well, is that uh, I can't find the teams. Well, I wouldn't worry about it because this is the Random Wrestling Review, not the World Cup 1994 Review. So as much as I might like to partake in that mm. at some point in the future, maybe you could do a podcast where basically you work your way through every single match that's ever taken place at the World Cup. <laughs> oh, my God. So it was uh, Gianluca Pagliuca. Ah, uh, OK. Which isn't the keeper that I was thinking of, or the old AC Milan keeper, I don't think. It was just a keeper. I don't know. Well, we still haven't got onto wrestling, and we're still talking about the Italian team of World Cup 1994. But yeah. So what I'm going to do is move us along... Once again to the Random Wrestling Review, I'm Ben Spindler and today we continue our recent spate of autumn shows with another dip into the WCW archives for 4 Brawl 1994. Joining me for this episode of The Pod is firstly Old Man Sam Carey. Hello, hello. We've had more false starts. 
to this episode, the Linford Christie and the 96 Olympics. I knew you were going to say Linford Christie. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Brilliant. And also, I am delighted to welcome back to the Random Wrestling Review for the first time in some time, James Truepenny. Ah, yeah, he's he's not here. I don't know what's happened. He's not arrived for the episode. So that's another hiccup we've had on the journey here. We've basically been trying to get this up and running for about 20 minutes. And it just hasn't happened. Mm. We've had microphone problems. We've had location problems. We've had all kinds of issues. And plus, on top of that, James Truepenny is nowhere to be found. So he was due to be on the show. I guess he might join us midway through out of nowhere. We've had that happen before, and that might genuinely mm. happen today. But the last time it happened, we knew it might happen. This time, we have no idea whether it's going to happen. So... We will see as the episode goes on. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since our last episode as we took a week off last week and there are changes afoot that we will be discussing in a special episode next week. So be sure to join us for that. For now, it's this week's review and I have a topic of the week in mind, but I think it's likely to come up in today's episode organically. So I will wait until that moment and jump on it then. So straight into expectations we go. Oh man, your expectations for this one. Wow, we got 994 WCW. Late 1994, WCW. So I was thinking, Hogan? Possibly? Probably. And I was very intrigued to see if Hogan was on the show, what kind of reaction he got. So I can remember reading a couple of years later that, like, they just started booing him out of the building, basically. And not long after he'd got there, a bit like when he was in Finishes Running WWE, where people weren't really sure about him. So I was very intrigued to see that. I couldn't remember what Flair was up to at this point, whether he was arguing with WCW or whether he was actually (laughs) there. But overall, I was quite intrigued by this because I've never watched a full brawl. I was wondering whether they'd have big inflatable leaves on the set. (laughs) And I just thought, you know what? This might actually be okay. And obviously you're going to have Mean Gene, before he wanted to kill himself, working for WCW. Bobby Heenan, possibly the same although he seemed to be very unhappy in wcw pretty much instantly yeah you know what i was quite intrigued by this i do want to remind you that you are called old man and sometimes that bleeds into reality because you said earlier on you haven't seen a four ball before but you have seen two of them doing this podcast (laughs) the first one you saw sort of this time last year 1996 version of Fall Brawl. You remember the post-match of the main event was all the NWO oh, beating up Randy yeah. Savage. That uh, shit. <laughs> and then also, um, just about three weeks ago, we covered Fall Brawl 89, which was one of the Clash of the Champions. In France. Clash of Champions 8, Fall Brawl yeah. So you've seen Fall Brawls before, and of course, plenty of war games, which obviously Fall Brawl was the home mm. of, at least for this part of history. Well, which I didn't know. Mm. And if I had known, it would have lowered my expectations considerably. Mm. So, all right. Well, it's, it's yeah, we'll, we'll get to talk, talk about that in a minute. My expectations were I was interested because we you will remember, old man, in the early part of last year, April last year, what Spring Stampede 94 reviewed that for yeah. this show. And we were me and you in particular were thoroughly impressed by that show. In fact, mm. I'm still a little bit bitter about Tom's terrible rating for it because <laughs> it's brought the average rating right down and in fairness it should have been like it should be a top 10 show for our ratings but it isn't because tom just didn't get it he's just an idiot so 
I was kind of eager to see what, you know, later on in 1994 WWE were going to be like. But I was also aware of the thing that I was talking about during that show, which was the company effectively changed overnight when Hulk Hogan came in. And we and some of his mates also joined him. And there are a number of his mates that appear on this particular show. Mm. So I was kind of intrigued to see what this WCW was going to be like. Was it going to be the fully now wwe from five years ago wcw or was it going to be a, a kind of an amalgamation of the old days and the new days where because they obviously weren't that far into hogan's time in the company now in terms of talking points oh man have you got anything do you want me to go first or have you got something you want to talk about so i have a very small talking point we know about that but <laughs> about the show <laughs> i sat down to my girlfriend is not a wrestling fan what <laughs> and yeah yeah i know unbelievable but um i sat down and i watched most of the show like separate from her and then i need to watch the main event because the time got away from me and i was like oh, I, can't, I can't finish watching it so, but well a perfect time watch the main event and she happened to be on the sofa and i was like oh, do you mind if i chat this on because i just need to finish watching it for the podcast she said oh, absolutely first thing she said about the main event which is the war games match was why are they wrestling in jeans and it made me think about jeans in wrestling and how like DDP was a big jean proponent. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Um, Dusty Rhodes, obviously, although some of us used to wear the little like little polka dot panties as well. We've seen Dustin Rhodes Runnels wear them as well. John Cena half jeans, obviously. Well, he has come down to the ring in full jeans now, hasn't he? Before. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think it was like an appearance. After he grew his hair out and everyone thought, God, his hair looks stupid. And now everyone just looks at him and just goes, hair still looks stupid, but fair play to him. But yeah, maybe you think like of the most uncomfortable wrestling attire. And I think jeans would be right up there because I can get quite uncomfortable in a pair of jeans anyway. <laughs> And then I thought, like, well, no one would do it, but you're wearing a thong, just a thong. So every time, like, someone pulls you up by your pants, it goes right up your jacksie, possibly, like, cuts off your balls. And then I thought about the nasty boys, how unattractive they are. And then I had to stop talking about it. That's a funny little wormhole you've gone down there. You've gone from jeans to thongs to the nasty boys and how ugly they are. Yeah, because um, that was my lead into the match. So I would set expectations. I was like, oh, there's a lot of ugly people in this match. <laughs> and then about 10 minutes in, she was like, God, they really are, aren't they? They're really ugly. She's like, were people that ugly in jeans in 1994? <laughs> And that was all I could think about. She, she'd have been fine if she was watching the Smoking Guns in uh, WWF. <laughs> she would have. God, those lovely little mullets. <laughs> lovely, lovely little mullets. But yeah, no, genuinely no. I think my talking point is going to be the main event because we've covered a War Games before. I think there's only one. And I'm not a fan at all. I don't understand the format because I don't know. I don't know why it exists because there's no drama because you're waiting effectively and it's 15 minutes before a fall is even possible and in this match the only way to remit to win is to surrender or submit <laughs> which probably the same thing i think both times you've given yourself up but there's a lot around hello the event. there we oh, go hello. look at that sorry about that i had to uh get rid of students and not only that but he's got he's got like oh. a full-on microphone as if he's about yeah. to serenade us with like music <laughs> he's turned up as freddie mercury <laughs> I thought it was going to be George Michael. So you could go, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Alan John. Because <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest, that's the only thing that uh, anyone likes about that song is the fact that he keeps announcing Elton John in the middle of it. <laughs> there there we go. Go. When, when Elton does come out, that note is, I can't, 
Lovely. And then I can accompany you if you want, Sam. No, I think I think we're okay with one of you, to be honest. This uh, is bad enough as it is. So at the beginning of the show, we did say that at the beginning of the show, we did say that we had a little bit of trickiness with microphones and uh, and trying to get. Oh man, let me speak. <laughs> At the beginning of the show, we did say we were having some problems with microphones and kind of getting ourselves kicked off, not just because, James, you weren't around, but also because uh, Old Man had some audio problems. Now we've got a whole raft of new ones because James has come in with this, like, ultra-brilliant microphone, like an, an actual, like, concert-grade microphone. Yeah, I won't call it concert-grade. It works. Well, <laughs> there you go, then. To be honest, that is good enough. It, it works. That is, that is good enough. Mm. So, interestingly enough, Old Man was just about to go into his talking point, but you know what? We didn't just we didn't long do expectations so let's just back ourselves up james because you are now here on the show james true penny everybody i did announce you at the beginning Woo! of the show and then we just had silence when, when your name <laughs> yeah, was sure. uh, announced so james give us your expectations for this particular show i well when you when you requested me to watch it i was like oh wcw i haven't done a wcw for the random wrestling review that'd be cool and then i remembered Paul brawl 94 and it went oh hogan yeah because i've watched this show before in 1994 on the DSF channel, German TV, they would produce every um, WCW pay-per-view the following Saturday night. So it would be on the Sunday night. And it was before the internet was a big thing. So I was spoiler free and I would watch it on DSF on the Sunday night. So it reminded me of a very big part of my life, which was watching WCW pay-per-views and German television and you know so this is the first time I watched it with English commentary and I was kind of like remembered bits were quite good and some bits were bloody awful so I was kind of like in between on my expectations of I was ready to have the roast tented spectacles on but also realistic in my expectations that some of it might not have stood the test of time interesting stuff interesting stuff so oh man you were just about to start talking about war games you don't understand it you don't get the rules and on this occasion submissions and surrendering were the only way to lose the match yes there is a problem with this match and it's a major problem now i actually quite enjoyed it for what it is my expectations were quite low but there's a swerve bro in the old bobby parker my boy the old cowboy rancher himself he's inserted into the match and I'm like, at the, at the expense of Meng as well. So I'm like, Jesus, see that double-eyed cunt beat people up. No, we get to see Robert Parker. And then it clicked in my head. I was like, oh, he's the one taking the fall yeah. for this match. And I was like, and I don't know whether that affected my enjoyment of the match because I think it increased it because they start off pretty hot with old Dustin Runnels, Rhodes, and on the dad Anderson. <laughs> and they're just, they're just beating the piss out of each other, I suppose, for about the first two or three minutes which I enjoyed there's an intense bollock shot of Ronald Thrones when he climbs up on the turnbuckle and the camera rather than holding their position and waiting for him to like jump off and see them just follows him around so you're just following his bollocks all the way around and I was just like bloody heck as I told Tiggy just before you turned up James I was watching this with my girlfriend so I was just like that guy's got bigger bollocks than me for fuck's sake bloody bigger bollocks look at him look at the size of him I have more testicular talk to talk about later Ooh. too erotically uh, set up as well there James it was, that's quite erotic <laughs> yeah. <he> said it. <laughs> it's quite nice because Tinky's been talking bollocks for almost two years <laughs> prick <laughs> 
So they start off very well. So there's the gap between the ring, which we had at the last War Games as well, which terrified me. That's a broken ankle for me. I'm done. I'm, <laughs> done. I'm, I'm out, coach. I'm just done for weeks. They do this weird thing where Arn Anderson's head is between the rings. That just tells you how big the gap is, because that's a big fucking head. And Dustin Ronald's rings is just holding his legs and lifting them up and down, like he's wanking off two cows. <laughs> I, and he's just doing that and it's like it, this doesn't hurt like this obviously doesn't hurt cracking visual to be fair I'm going to have to but, interrupt you again old man sorry can I, can I just can I just get something to in my head why cows I, um, <laughs> what I actually meant to say was milking, milking two cows cow, yeah, yeah. not wanking off two cows but <laughs> my mind immediately went to wanking <laughs> and stayed with it and it was it was cows but surely you'd be yeah. wanking off the bulls not cows oh I fucked it. Guys, <laughs> Properly fucked it in every single way. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't even drink dairy, so it's bloody waste of time as well. But yeah. And then you get like you get the normal stuff. So bunkhouse buck comes in. So they have the awkward coin flip where and it's not this one, but Randy Anderson drops the coin. Oh no, it is this one, isn't it? He drops the coin. Yeah. And it's obviously going to call heads heads regardless. So he has to cover it with his hands so the crowd can't see. I'm like <laughs> fucking hell, lads. We talked about this last time, didn't we? Where they're tossing the coin in the ring, and you're like, mm. "What are you doing? Just say you do it backstage." And uh, yeah, I'll bunk out. I'll funk it. What was it? <laughs> Tom called him fuck house fuck on it. Funk funk house funk house fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, it comes in, and uh, then it just kind of carries on, and then Jerry Sags comes in to an enormous pop because obviously the hills have started beating down Dustin Ronalds' roads. There's a cracking pile driver by Jerry Sags. I mean, this is the only wrestling move I've ever seen Jerry Sags do, <laughs> and he does an extraordinary pile driver on Bunkhouse Buck. It's fucking tremendous, <laughs> and then he tries to repeat the feat on Terry Funk later in the match over the gap in the ring and almost kills him yeah. and I'm like fuck you know Terry Funk's got horses to look after <laughs> he can't be bloody crippled for God's bloody sake and Terry Funk comes in with this fucking cowboy boot who is undoubtedly the best worker in the ring to this point like he's this cowboy boot is fucking working everyone over <laughs> just absolutely <laughs> Putting in a fucking shit. The funny thing was there is James know. actually agreed with you on the basis that you thought you were talking about <laughs> Terry Funk. And <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Terry Funk is the best worker in this match. Not by a distance, but the top two by a distance. Uh, him and old Dusty when he comes in. And I'm not a big Dusty guy. But then old Bobby Parks comes in. Oh, he's tremendous. Tremendous. He's so someone is holding Dustin Ronald's wounds. And he starts working him over. He starts kicking and he punches him and he sells his hand being hurt. And I was like, this guy's the fucking goat. He's selling. He's selling like an absolute champ because that's what you do, isn't it? If you're not used to punching someone, you punch someone, it hurts. Dusty comes in, elbows galore, then group beat down of Parker, which is, to be honest, a bit of a lynching. A bit awkward, really, considering he's a manager. Like, I'd have just been like, right, cool. One of us can probably take him. Why don't you look after the other lads? Then he gets locked in a figure four, which is that held on for so long. He's getting elbow drops and everything, and then he quits. And I'm like, how's Robert Parker been held in a figure four for that long? It's absolutely nuts. And it's done. Then Main comes in, headbutts a camera. <laughs> and, and to be honest, at this point, I'm having a great time. Just had a really, really good time with this i just thought this was fun but the work so the list of workers so you've got funk and dusty roads dustin Ronald's roads knobs and sags saggy knobs 
the Nasty Boys, <laughs> Bunkhouse Buck, Colonel Bobby P, Owen Arn Anderson. Like when I heard that it was those guys in the match, I was just like, I'm minxed at outside. I'm like, this is going to be fucking awful. But they went the right way with it. And I thought, well done, lads. And well done, everyone. There was a very odd slow-mo package at the end, which I didn't really understand. And the commentators are just talking over it. But yeah, I thought this was good. Uh, Meng is my MVP for headbutting the camera <laughs> as well. He just pips Robert Parker. He also looks like the coolest guy in the world in this, in this yeah. show. What's going on? I was like, where's where's this Meng been all of our lives? He's the artist guy in the he, world, so you're gonna are you gonna argue with him? We all know that though. This was different. This was he's really cool. Like you look at him, he's got his suit on, he's got the old shades on, he looks like a Don. But James, he looked like someone who would draw serious money, I thought. James, what did you think? Of the match, I, I really enjoyed it as a kind of a romp. As, uh, it was just fun, isn't it? It's like people beating each other up, so that's fun. And you're right, Sam, I do think Dusty coming out of retirement was a big deal and it was presented properly. He wasn't overshadowing the rest of the team, but still kind of a star, even though you knew he was probably going to get the win with the figure four anyway, but there you go. I do like Jimmy Golden, whose Bunkhouse book. Interestingly, at the time, I remember the bits of information I did have, there was reports that WCW were slightly concerned because Bobby Heenan had been known to flub his words from time to time, and having a faction with Bunkhouse book and Terry Funk might be problematic and could quite easily get those names mixed up on national television where most of the time back then they were still pre-recorded it wasn't happening live so they weren't too far but pay-per-views were a whole different thing but yeah i really like this match from just having a fun romp of people beating each other up that was cool i like terry funk i liked robert parker and jimmy golden who was bunkhouse book because i'd watched them in uswa before feuding with jeff jarrett and they were great because they were like proper old school southern heels which is what really they were doing here in kind of like a very direct way so adding terry funk to the mix is always going to be good terry funk and dusty Rhodes together is always fun and dustin Ronalds was really good at this point he was he was not having any bad matches and so he was kind of the glue guy for this match and was in there the longest and kind of held things together and you can't not like Arn Anderson because Arn Anderson is God that was a thing at the time there was a I've just remembered this there was a thing called the radio wrestling show which was on satellite radio if you had Sky Movies, it was an extra channel of audio, and they used to do inside the news stuff, and they would do it on the phone line the week before, and then it'd be on the radio show the following week, and they ran a competition called Arn Anderson is God, because that was one of their catchphrases, and when WCW did a UK tour, somebody in the best sign that said uh, Arn Anderson is God won a prize. So uh-huh. you That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah. So did, did, did you enter it? I didn't go. <laughs> so I didn't enter it. But the but the winner was a guy was a couple of guys who had a massive sign that Barry Windham saw and uh, <laughs> said that why they got back. Did you see out there? There was a sign that said Arn Anderson is God. That was the one that won. Amazing what sticks in your head after twenty years. Nearly it 30. is. <laughs> it is indeed. You're, you're, you're not in the you're not in the best company here, um, James, because this uh, podcast is quite infamous for its dislike of Arn Anderson. We're not fans of Arn Anderson on this podcast. I think mainly because everyone goes mental for him, and we don't know why. Like he's uh, he's all right, but he looks like a dad. Doesn't look very impressive. And you're you're always like, oh man, we're listed through the participants in the match earlier on. Couldn't remember Arn Anderson. He'd go, oh yeah, and Arn Anderson, mm-hmm. that guy, yeah, that, that guy. Because you forget about him instantly. There's just nothing about him. He's a he's a decent wrestler, and that's it. That's why I like him. He's a decent wrestler. So he sticks in my head more. <laughs> yeah, but James, you think everyone's a decent wrestler? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out. We'll find out as we go on. 
through this show. Let's see how many people he sleeps during this show, shall we? Right. Oh, well, there's three or four. I'm already looking back through my notes. Oh, yeah, I've got plenty of opportunities to slate somebody. Good. Else. Okay, okay, that's good. That's good. I'm glad, I'm glad there's something. I, I want I want to try to bring out the demon in, in James. Uh, and not the, fin, not the Finn Balor version, the actual demon. Yeah, I like this match. I, I didn't love it, but that might be partially because I was trying to watch this. I, like you, old man, had watched the rest of the show pro- other than this and the bit before this match. And then I had to watch it very quickly last night and I did it whilst I was in bed with all the lights off because my wife was sleeping next to me and I was trying to take notes but I couldn't really see the <laughs> notebook very well so I was like oh this is actually really quite hard I did manage to get a whole page of notes down and you know what they aren't they aren't actually that bad they're quite legible but it did probably affect my enjoyment of the match a little bit because that was quite difficult but overall yeah i quite enjoyed it the pile driver in particular that uh bunkhouse buck or funkhouse fuck as we like to call him now um <laughs> does between the two rings i was like fuck he is gonna break terry funk's neck here and it reminded me i um i want to kind of do a shout out for these guys anyway because they did they sorted our friend of the show Spicer out with some tickets recently so pro wrestling chaos in Bristol so what had happened and this will this will be pertinent what what we're talking about but what <laughs> had happened with those guys is that effectively Spicer had bought tickets for an LDN show I'm happy to name them on here I haven't named them on Twitter but LDN are quite infamous for being absolutely gutter and effectively he went along to one of their shows and they had I think they changed the location 10 minutes before the show or something they had five matches six wrestlers it was apparently it was really bad and when Spicer had reached out to, to them on their Facebook page they basically just like fobbed him off so I kind of put out a tweet the next day after that had happened saying look my mate was at uh, an LDN show can can people recommend me some some wrestling promotions in the in the southwest area that he might be able to go to instead I already know about Pro Wrestling Chaos. Is there anybody else? Well, Pro Wrestling Chaos then reached out to me and said, look, give us give us his details. We will kind of give him some tickets to, to basically recompense him for the bad show that another company had put on. And they did, gave him the tickets. And he went along this weekend as we're recording this, in fact, and thought it was an amazing show and is now going to go back pretty much every time that they put on a show. Great shout out for him. Spice was also a regular listener to the show, so I wanted to put that out there because I thought it was important for <laughs> this show to... But also, what it reminded me of is a Another thing that had happened at a Pro Wrestling Chaos show, which I'd went to a number of years ago, where the previous promoter, Dave Mercy, was in the main event of a show and got pile drive pile driven, I suppose is the <laughs> way you say that, pile driven by Mike Bird on the apron outside the ring, and Ooh. basically his head had gone very like by the side of the apron. So he was it was safe, but God did it look dangerous. And it really reminded me of that. And I told him, I told Dave Mercy after the show, don't do that again. It's too dangerous. You shouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, so that just, it came into my mind when I saw that. And also obviously the Spicer story. So I wanted to kind of just bring that up. Um, But yeah, overall thought this was a a good match. I enjoyed it more than I thought I I would. And that brings me to the topic that I had held back earlier on because WWE have just announced recently that Survivor Series this year will feature war games. So they've put out a big uh, logo for it, WWE Survivor Series War Games. And I wanted the topic this week, which is strange. I know it's strangely placed here, but the topic is to talk.
talk about that, what we think about the resurrection of war games. I know that NXT have done it a couple of times and whether or not we are particularly excited. I imagine, James, that you won't care one way or the other, basically, because it's WWE. But yeah. what was your thoughts on that? I think it's interesting because obviously it's associated with an era of NWA and WCW that was exceptionally violent. They did calm it down in the period we're talking about here. But, you know, it was the famous uh, Road Warrior Hawk promo, which was what would what would you have to do to give up in a war games match? And he said, I'd have to die. And that was kind of like, you know, that was the kind of the ethic of it as far as the match is concerned. And like, I'm slightly concerned. It's like it will become just a match because it's not a feud ender. It exists purely because it exists. That's the bit that concerns me with matches like that, because Impact had a similar issue with Lethal Lockdown every year, which was essentially their version of War Games. It, it would just like it wouldn't necessarily build up to blow off a feud, which was the whole point. It was just there. So then you had to pick people to go into it like Survivor Series as Survivor Series matches that less of an issue because you can always go back to Raw versus SmackDown or X versus X or whatever and it's just a bunch of guys and that's fine whereas War Games the reason why War Games existed was because the horsemen were evil and you needed a way to end that feud with the horsemen for Dusty and that's why the match existed there was a reason why it came together it's supposed to be this ultimate test of wrestling manhood if you will um and Therefore, if it's just on a show for the sake of it being on a show, even with the NXT shows recently, there was always a reason for Steve Regal, William Regal to go, War Games. I think there needs to be a reason for it to happen rather than just being, oh, it's Raw versus SmackDown in a cage. Yeah, but I mean, in fairness, James, I mean, WCW at this time had been doing War Games at the same pay-per-view every year for <laughs> ages. So there's 93, I, 94, 95, 96, 97, <laughs> 98 were all four-ball uh, four War Games shows. They were. I'm, I'm talking about the early days, though. I was talking about like before it got like this. But yeah, I think my, my issue is... And it's the same with gimmick matches generally. There needs to be a reason for the gimmick match to happen, not just for it to happen. Hell in the Cell is another one. The Hell in the Cell just happens because it's the Hell of the Cell pay-per-view instead of it necessarily being a feud ender, which is really what it should be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I don't, I don't necessarily think it has to be a feud ender, but it just needs to be appropriate at yeah. that point in time. By effectively announcing that you're going to do war games at Survivor Series, you've now cut off the element of, well, there's these two factions and they hate each other. So the logical thing is to go to war games. Now, now even if they do get two teams to that point, you know why... The, I, don't, I had to explain this. There's a conscious... There's being conscious of the, the decision to get two teams together Yeah. when you already know war games is ahead, rather than them having a feud between two groups of people and then someone announcing right you're going to you're going to sort this out at war games and it's yeah. going to be at survivor series it's basically the same thing but the problem is as i said it's just because they've announced that the match is going to happen before survivor series <laughs> you know, now know that they've got to bring together magically two groups of people to face off in a, in a war games match which is just is is just not the right way around as far as i'm concerned oh man what do, what do you think i find it very frustrating because i feel like there's an opportunity here and they've not had this for a long time i don't think where you've got the bloodline you've got the users of roman reigns and solo sakoa is it solo sakoa thank you yeah, yeah or n not sammy seeker as i called him at clash of the castle to you tinky <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you've got four guys there and you've got drew mcintyre still he's still annoyed old drew mcintyre still annoyed you've 
now we've got Logan Paul, who is going to challenge for the title at Blood Money Mania. And, <laughs> Blood Money Mania. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got the opportunity to get two other people, like Sami Zayn is desperately trying to get in with the bloodline. He's one who can be used. They've kind of like dipped Kevin Owens in and out of that. Get Kevin Owens in there and you've got a four on four that makes sense. And you've got a four on four that I would 100% watch. Mm. And now, I think kind of to James's point, like it's going to be Raw versus SmackDown and it will probably be based on who wins matches in the night, which means that you'll probably get eight matches or maybe six matches that contribute to this thing. And then at the end, they'll just go, yeah, we're just going to have that. Yeah, just going to have a War Games match and then it will be done and then we'll go home. It's, like, it's not going to be fun like this was. This was fun because Robert Parker was in there and they, they got the pace just about right. And also this match is, so you're waiting, I think it's, 15 minutes to get everyone in i think the match is some like 17 and a half 18 minutes yeah it ain't gonna be if wwe are doing it it never was when they did the better nxt there's one in nxt that bell to bell was something like 63 minutes Ugh. i mean that's fucking <laughs> obscene like that's just horrendous and it will be something like that i think so i am very i'm not as much of a traditionalist as tommy is with survivor series like he posted that image to our WhatsApp chat and he you could feel the anger coming off of him. <laughs> you could you could feel the warmth coming off of his furrowed brow. And his boiled but, piss. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know why you can't make these matches anymore. I don't know why they don't try to make these matches because there's the argument that oh it's Survivor Series, so like we're talking about war games, is like, well you're setting up a war games match. Well you're setting up a Survivor Series match. Yeah you are. But all you need is a really strong main event and one other really strong Survivor Series match and the other two or three Survivor Series matches that they may have on the card can be kind of throwaway and you can do the fun with those but it just gone so far away from it and it would be such self-indulgent tripe this War Games match that when I watch it I'll be angry <laughs> and then at the end of it I'll go you know what they bloody got me didn't they I enjoyed that <laughs> I know it already I know it he's angry already about the match and the fact that he's going to enjoy the match is <laughs> um, absolutely yeah. brilliant the big issue for me is that I just don't think the match is very clever. I don't think it's very good. It doesn't make sense to me that the idea of the War Games match. I understand like the extreme nature or hardcore nature of this match and uh, in historically the way to sort of wrap up the feud between Flair and his people against Rhodes and his people or, or whoever else the horsemen were up against in the past. But first of all, no one can be no one can win until everyone's in the match. That's fucking ridiculous. That doesn't that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. That's just yeah. stupid. It's a nonsense. Also like there's only one way you can do it for it to make sense you can't have the baby faces have the advantage have the numbers advantage that just doesn't it's got negative um psychology all over it so you've got to have the heels go in first or at least get the second entrant in first and as old man said this isn't the first time we've seen it either but colonel robert parker's in this match to be defeated the one we watched i think it's at one of the great american bashes that we did from the late 80s has got someone similar like a manager of some kind in it so that they can take the pin i don't know why either because it's like this is the main event of a pay-per-view you can have someone lose this match and not lose any kind of rub from it it's fine to have someone lose in, in a match like this i don't get why they're worried that oh we can't have bunkhouse buck get pinned like what 
Of course you fucking can. Like, who's going to fucking worry about that? It's just stupid. It doesn't, it's just stupid. So those are the bits I don't like about it. It's this illogical nature of the match in general and then here as well at this this four ball show. And I just think that Triple H just seems to have a big hard on for this for this match. He just seems to have a big he's, he just seems to be a massive WCW fan basically. I think Triple H was. Mm. I think that's what we're slowly realizing is that Triple H just loved late oh, yeah. 80s, early 90s NWA and WCW. So he's sort of bringing stuff like this back. It doesn't really interest me too much, but it would have interested me more if they'd gone at some point after there was a, perhaps a big old four on four fight in the ring on smackdown or something you know someone had come out and then gone right that's it we've had enough you guys need to sort this out we're having a war games match at the next show whatever that next show is and that's the moment we found out when war, that war games is coming back that would have been a far more organic and better way of doing this and just going oh that's my series we're gonna have war games just oh, it's just silly what i also find incredibly frustrating about it is that they've got two shows before then and like you said tinky so i don't know whether ticket sales are crap and they're trying to boost them or what but Mm. you've got the chance to build something you can build it you've got just under two months to build something telling me you can't do it and then pop it with three weeks to go and go this is going to be fucking war games and we're going to keep you apart until then yeah nice isn't it nice and easy so that is old man's talking point and our topic for the show for the start of the show which wasn't at the start of the show this week james have you got a talking point you want to pull out from fall brawl 1994 yeah rick flair Mm. who's not on this show i'm all point hulk hogan and rick flair because it was the 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 package from before that concerned me because i'd forgot this had happened so at the previous show which was bash at the beach i think flair a well the whole thing and you, you're gonna because it's the arn anderson thing because hulk hogan comes out and a guy who moves and looks exactly like arn anderson clobbers in with a tire wrench and breaks his knee and it's like so hogan's not in this particular card which makes it way better as far as i'm concerned but it's the it's the fact that he comes out and then beats flair with a duff knee and it is just like the the crawl back in my brain of how the machinations of what hogan was doing at the time is like so you couldn't lose to rick flair who is the master of the figure four leg lock and is the leg submission specialist with a torn up knee that's been hit by and you couldn't even lose to him then that kind of like sums up where the booking was going to go because this card's not like that because it's using everybody else but flair and hogan and the story of flair and hogan in this period is the bit that concerns me for the future of the company and i was right <laughs> it, it concerns you for the future of the company james you do know wcw folded in 2001 right <laughs> 20 year old me was concerned about the future of the company because of stuff like this so that was my talking point is like hogan's politics at this particular time was deeply machiavellian and um you look at this show and you think like there was so much going on with the show it had so much talent that didn't need hogan there and intriguingly as well when they announced we'll be talking to hulk hogan and rick flair later they booed hogan and they cheered flair and it was the beginning of end of hogan being the baby face it was it took them two years to get to the nwo but you know you could see the writing was on the wall for like this period of time as far as hogan was concerned so i suppose my talking point is hogan in wcw generally and just the way he worked in the company at this particular point before he became valuable again you're absolutely right about the hogan booze there, there is is easily clear straight away that the minute you first hear Hogan's name there's booze from the crowd I think it happens within the first 30 seconds or a minute of the show when Bobby Heenan says his name there's booze I think Roanoke Virginia would be a more traditional WCW slash Jim Crockett style area of the country so I imagine Flair this is probably a bit more pronounced than it would be in other places in America I would imagine Um, although I know that you know 
there was a sense that that act was getting very, very lame by the mid 90s. And what happens here is that, as you say, there's a that we're going to hear from Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. We do hear from them prior to the main event. So this is the other thing that I watched last night. Um, and I'm going to try and read my notes here. So this might be where we'll find whether or not the dark, the lit, the no light and using my torch <laughs> from my phone actually worked taking these notes. So Gene Oakland's beside the entrance and he talks about the feud between Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. Oakland introduces a satellite link with Hogan at the gym working out and he's got a very fetching uh, gym outfit on. Fair few boots for him. Hogan says he is rehabbing his knee and has a surprise for Flair. Flair then calls Hogan from a bar. Flair's in a bar with a couple of women who say that Flair is busy. Flair then gets on the phone and says that he is retired. Hogan offers Flair a match where if Flair wins, Hogan will quit WCW and retire from pro wrestling forever, which Flair accepts as the challenge has been put down. They will. We then find out later on in the show, just, just after this, that they will battle our Halloween Havoc when Nick Bockwinkle announces that that is the case and that it will take place in a steel cage strangely james i don't think i don't think i minded hogan's politicking here i think it was i think it was the right thing to do if i'm honest Fair enough. I'm, I'm looking at flair as someone who is definitely at his best days he's also pretty teflon in wcw you know you can't really do anything to flair that's going to make him look small in the eyes of wcw's fan base and hogan is still a draw and they did do monster numbers at least compared with their previous numbers on pay-per-view if nowhere else at that time and i think hogan's a big enough star that i don't think there's a huge issue putting him over everybody else in a superhuman way at least for a couple of years because he's hogan i you know i i that's the way i feel about this but what i will say is on the flip side of that is i thought hogan looked like a proper chump during this segment <laughs> i just thought he looked like a complete idiot here he is like the goody two shoes at the gym on a late on a sunday night why is he not watching the show i don't know for a start i mean that would be the first thing i'm asking is hang on your company's running a show you're out at the gym what are you doing mate get home and watch the bloody show will you Flair, meanwhile, is out with out on the out on the town. It's not like he's getting like drunk out of his mind. He's quite civilized, sat there, relaxed, drinking a few cocktails. Uh, you know, as as the night goes on, I thought Flair just looks so much cooler than Hogan. Like this <laughs> just makes Hogan look like a proper chump. I just was like weird presentation of Hogan here, and and something that I'm surprised Hogan himself didn't put the kibosh on and say, actually, no, we're going to do this in a different way because there's no way <laughs> Flair is going to look this much cooler than me. I think though that's the thing is Flair was just cooler than Hogan. <laughs> but there was a lot of stuff like this with Hogan in that particular time period, like the Renegade stuff and things like that, where he just didn't look cool. I think that was kind of like away from the filter of Vince McMahon as another thing is like some of the stuff that they did in WCW would not fly in WWF because Vince would gone. That just doesn't look good. And I think that's a lot of the Hogan issues of that particular era. And coming back to it after such a long time as well, it's like it just stick, stuck out to me as like, I'm probably overegging the pudding on the politics because it's kind of what he's known for and it was the bit that aggrieved me because I liked WCW I was a WCW fan before he turned up and continued watching all the way through to the bitter end but I think that's the issue is just it just didn't look cool and he wouldn't look cool again until the NWO in 97 you know there's another three years of suffering before he, <laughs> before he comes around to being useful again the thing I thought with the stipulation was like they're booing this guy right already why on earth would you have him put his career on the line because people would have wanted him beat they didn't want him they didn't want Hogan they didn't want Hogan I mean uh, Tinky touched on this at the start of the show like they didn't want Hogan in 
WWF at this time when he left for WCW. They didn't want Hulkamania. Hulkamania was like not not a thing that people wanted a part of anymore. And I just found it so strange. And I think Hogan's such a fucking weird man. Because like to your point, Tinky, he looks like a fucking idiot. And he's also like always trying to get the last word on this. So it goes on an interminably long time. Like this is horrendous, this segment. Like I absolutely hated every second of it. Apart from when I realized how long the phone cord is that Ric Flair's holding. I enjoyed that bit, but that but but that was it. That's the high point. I don't know it was terribly, terribly done. I thought it was a terrible idea. But then at the end, Hogan unwraps his knee and he does squats and he shows his hand. And I'm saying, You're a fucking chicken shit. You're a chicken shit baby face who's had to lull someone in to basically get them. Flair should have done that. Like, I just, it just didn't make any sense to me. I just thought it was terrible. And I thought it, sh- it really showed Hogan as such an utter cunt. And his bollocks. Fuck, yeah, I don't want to see his bollocks for that long. <laughs> his fucking leggings are so fucking tight. You could see Terry's Balayas all over the place. <laughs> how how long is an optimum amount of time to see Hulk Hogan's bollocks, old man? Um, I go for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it. that's enough Whereas, that's enough for two wanks is it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's like hogan is so crap as well we talk we've talked about this about how early in his like monster wwf run he's very jittery on the mic he's very not very good he's very all over the place and then he has this golden period where he's absolutely incredible and then he goes again he is all over the place he's saying that rick flair's got mashed potato muscles i'm like fucking baby face like why are you like we all know because of the steroid trial that you took a shit ton of steroids why are you insulting someone's muscles you silly old fart i thought this was fucking awful and i bet rick flair at the end of this i mean not only did he probably have sex with those four women that were there but i'll bet he hung up the phone and they stopped recording and he went fuck me. I've got to do business with this fucking cunt. And he's a cunt. It's not like he's a saint. Oh, terror, terrible. I mean, Gene at the end. Ah, oh, Tinky, you go, and then we can cover this by the end because oh, I'm fuming. <laughs> I, I, I'm confused as to what I'm supposed to go with, to be honest, old man. Um, you mean my talking point? Is that what you want me to do? No, oh, no, no, no. If we're carrying on talking about this, because I thought you wanted to say something, to be honest. The way that you were, I was like, oh, he wants to say something. So they finish this, right? And then old Bockers comes out. Oh, Nicky Bock with his, what was it? Uh, was it cream cheese frosting hair? Tom said. <laughs> it was cauliflower cheese hair. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he then makes the match a steel cage match. Now, let's get this right. Mean Gene, face. Hogan, face. Rick Flair, nasty heel. He's an out from a masked man who's attacked Hogan. Why do you put them in a steel cage match? So that no one else can get involved. That's the like psychology behind it. Mean Gene is fucking fuming. He's absolutely fuming about them going in a steel cage. And it takes Bobby Heenan to go, well, yeah, it's to keep people out. And just like, <laughs> fucking Mean Gene. You've gone. You've gone. You're, you're Mr. Peanuts. Done. He's done. He's gone off. He's turned into a walnut. Terrible stuff. Awful. Awful. I'm, first, I'm glad this was someone's talking point because it was going to be mine. And I thought, no, no, I'll go with the denim jeans in, in wrestling. <laughs> I, too, was perplexed by Gene Oakland's response. I didn't really understand mm. why he was so like upset about the fact that they were putting in a cage match. And he, it was like Nick Bockwinkle and the WCW executive committee had made the biggest and most controversial call in the history of the world. Mm. And I was like, what, what's wrong with you, Gene? I don't. What's, what's your problem? I thought this was what's 
listeners that I wonder if there's this wish to get some sympathy on Hogan and he's trying to make he's like, he's fucked yeah. here he's fucked there's fucking four year old kids in the crowd who are going shut up Gene you fucking idiot <laughs> I will go, I'll move us on to my talking point and then we'll take a quick break. And I think we'll. No, I'll, no, no, I need to still rant about this bit. No, no, <laughs> sorry. I think I'll talk about another kind of element of the Hogan arrival, shall I? Which is something that we mentioned definitely on the Spring Stampede 94 show, which we did in April of last year. Steve Austin and his loss against mm. Jim Duggan in about 30 seconds. For the US title. Now, this was pretty infamous at the time as being like this major, major kind of, to your point, James, oh my God, WCW, the identity, the very identity of WCW yeah. is being destroyed by Hogan and his mates coming in. And basically, Steve Austin, who's probably the hottest young star, one of the hottest young stars anyway, that the company's got, severely could definitely be a main eventer in the future, is just been completely crushed by this relic from the earlier 90s and who's not going to give you any real value now. I mean, it would be similar, I would suggest, to Dolph Ziggler leaving WWE, going to AEW and beating Jungle Boy in 30 seconds in a major pay-per-view match. Um, it would be something like that, basically. But it was funny watching it now. It's kind of like, I don't care because we know Austin made it. So it doesn't matter anymore. And also, like, we know WWE after this point had a massive period, of a massive boom period as well. Obviously, this is a symptom of what eventually would hurt WWE really badly. But this particular thing didn't actually matter that much in the end when you consider the career Steve Austin had and the fact that WCW had their boom period later on so in this in in this viewing it's kind of like okay well fair enough at least it wasn't a long Jim Duggan match which I can definitely (laughs) be thankful for yeah this was 20 year old me was utterly offended 48 year old me yeah it's all right I suppose could happen but I know what happens to Steve Austin you're like you said I'm not as concerned about it now because I know everything turns out all right in the end except for WCW and even Jim Duggan's having a comeback these days he's he's big on the indies again again Um, (laughs) <laughs> he does occasional indie shots um like he wrestles weekends and some of the indies like bring him in for old school pops i suppose but yeah it was at the time it was the the big deal melts as blood boiling kind of stuff because it was i was a steve austin fan i'd watched steve austin go up through uswa with chris adams and feuding with chris adams. the first barbed wire match i ever saw was him versus chris adams at sportatorium in dallas in 93 or maybe 92 so yeah i was a fan of his and then this happens and it's like oh it's kind of disappointing when you know how good Austin can be. But yeah, now it doesn't bother me as much, but you you did at the time. It was really felt amongst the insider fans who were around at the time. Yeah, so, so Steve Austin loses the title in 35 seconds. Now, I should say that this is all preceded by a whole pre-match bit because Ricky Steamboat, was originally the US champion and was due to defend the title against Steve Austin. So not only did we get a Jim Duggan squash of Steve Austin, but we also missed out on Steve Austin versus Ricky Steamboat, which would have been a lovely match. We saw that at Clash of Champions 20 uh, in 1992. They had a match, which was very decent, but I imagine this might have even had more time because it's now a pay-per-view match. But uh, Ricky Steamboat cannot defend the title because of an injury has to surrender the title and Steve Austin becomes champion effectively just prior to the match. But it's also worth saying here that this is Ricky Steamboat's retirement effectively this is the end of his career he didn't uh, after this come back until i think he did obviously have a few matches as we saw old man at wrestlemania 25 yeah but effectively this was the end of his full-time wrestling career so that was 
quite a shame in itself. And I guess another way in which WWE was getting away from what they had previously been. You know, not only are they now putting Jim Dig- Jim Duggan over as the United States champion, they're losing Ricky Steamboat, Hogan's coming in and beat Flair. All this kind of stuff is happening. And so it's kind of another part of that whole. And I thought it was really interesting. Steve Austin cuts some, does a promo here and, and kind of does some talking. He sounds incredibly like our Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. I thought but it was really interesting how much he sounded like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I think the, the ECW stuff he did not long after this, this was him becoming superstar Steve Austin. Austin, which got to Stone Cold Steve Austin. There was very much that edginess to it that was there that he became kind of his calling card as a heel uh, originally. Yeah. You know what the major problem is with this as well is the pot when Duggan wins is enormous. Like they are very happy. And I'd imagine that there were some execs sat in the back just going, you know what? Bad Duggan, isn't it? He's the future. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, that's not why they're cheering. They're cheering because Austin is lost. And I that I thought it was really stark because what you said, Tinky, Austin's promo and the way that he's staring at Bockwinkle, I was just like, that's stone cold. And it made me think, I was like, how and earth as a wrestling promotion can you see that and see the reaction he's getting and not go fucking hell might have to uh might have to push that guy a little bit and you go no no it's all right duggan's here usa usa (laughs) usa (laughs) usa usa Oh, that's Duggan. Hang on, it's not, it's not USAO. It's not USAO. Oh, man. oh. Just, just USA. Oh, well, I've been getting it wrong all these years. <laughs> United mm. States of America, oh. I was a bit sad about this, to be honest, because uh, Nick Bonquinkle. Nick Bonquinkle. <laughs> it's a, a common, it's a common uh, mistake, that one. Yeah. Nick Bonquinkle is so uncharismatic in his role. He's um, Jack Tunney, yeah. effectively. Mm. But it's... He's worse than Jack Tunney because at least Jack Tunney would get his shit out and then go on a little bit too long, but then cut it. Oh, Bockers is going, he's trying to talk all the time, doing the editing. Ah, oh, Austin puts over Steamboat and then it, Bockers tries to talk over him. I was just like, oh, go away. Just let this happen. Get Mean Gene in there and just go, I've just been told by everyone, blah, blah, blah. This is happening. Austin laughs. <laughs> And then Duggan comes down to the ring. Someone harpoons his right knee and he can't <laughs> have the match. And then the whole world is different, isn't it? Yeah. Well, not the world, the wrestling world. Well, Jim Duggan, after the match, is interviewed by Gene Oakland at ringside. And Duggan says it's the greatest night of his life. Now, as you said, Austin, uh, Austin, as you said, old man, what? there is there is quite a lot of pot. There's a big pot for Duggan when he comes out and wins the match. Mm. But he instantly crushes his own his own. <laughs> Fan favoritism when he starts castigating Ric Flair for running around <laughs> with the with a fake world title belt, and then there's loads of we want Flair chants, and the fans have already tuned on Duggan like five seconds after his victory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking idiot! Not reading the room. No, not at all. Right. We're going to take a quick break there, and then when we come back, we will go through the rest of the show in chronological order, as we always do. I'll see you in a second. All right, I thank you very much, uh, Tony Schiavone. I'm joined right now by a group of gentlemen. If I were going to have a five-man scramble out at the golf club on a Saturday morning, these are the guys I would want on my side to tee it up with. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, the Nashville Dustin Rhodes, and gentlemen, the Nasty Boys, eight men in two rings under a cage tonight. Like we say on the streets, you talk the talk. Now you walk the walk. You're walking down that aisle. That aisle is Nasty Boulevard. That ring is Nasty now. You gotta enter it. And all I gotta say to those four fat cowpokes is get ready to eat. 
Kate! Brian. Hey, Jesus! It's retribution time! It's retribution time for three punks and one chicken little baby! You're getting nasty size and nasty sensations getting shoved right down your sickest throat! Alright, uh, the natural Dustin Rose, this is certainly a family you affair. You have the audacity to talk about manhood in front of the whole world and everybody! You're no man, you've never been a man, you're never gonna amount to anything. So let's get that straight. All that you have shown me is that you can run. You can run, but you cannot hide. And now, all the talking's over. Let's go to war. Go war! Dream, we have been there before, my friend. You know, when they talk about the great games of the world, the Goodwill Games, the Olympic Games, they used to be baseball games, they're football games, these are the war games. This is the war games. When I left my house, my son Cody Garrett killed Marcus said, Daddy, take it easy. You're going to be all right tonight. Nasty dream. Tonight's the night. Colonel Parker going to squeal like a pig. And let me tell you something else all over the world. In the words of my mean man, what the hell, son? Ooh, you ain't seen well, gentlemen, I'll tell you, it's going to be something else. This is War Games, the match beyond. We are just moments away. And, of course, it is part of football. Yes, I see it. Dream, anything specific in mind for Colonel Parker? All I got to say, Ming is on the outside. Parker has to come in. Tonight, he squeals like a Okay, welcome back to the show. Now, as I said, we're going to cover the rest of Fall Brawl uh, in chronological order. And the show begins with a strange missile radar type thing that I didn't really fully understand. I guess they're trying to play up the idea of war games here in this particular show. The commentators for the night are Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan, but they are joined for the intro by Gene Oakland, which threw me for a moment because I was like, my goodness, is Gene Oakland going to do commentary? I'm not sure that that's something we want to hear on a pay-per-view. I think I've heard him do commentary for like superstars of wrestling or something on a Sunday morning, but uh, I'm not sure we need him on a pay-per-view. We are in Roanoke, Virginia, and a guy sings the national anthem to start the show. Uh, Country singer carrying a cowboy hat that's i couldn't i couldn't get the name didn't 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 get the name cracking mullet was it was it billy gunn no it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> carrying a, yeah the cracking mullet and he was carrying a cowboy hat yeah but he wasn't billy gunn you know what right it's great mullet i literally put james one on the same page i put a mullet singing the anthem that's who he is <laughs> i actually thought this was a very nice low-key version of it, it wasn't showy he had a nice enough voice, and I thought, you know what? I'll get on board with that. And then they ruined it with some terrible pyro at the end. For some very, very 1994 pyro, which is effectively yeah. sparklers. <laughs> Their pyro was dreadful. Starcade 89 was like the first time I saw WCW pyro, and it was like dark room and just like, yeah, sparklers. Behind painted pictures of Sting and Ric Flair. <laughs> yes. The pyro would not improve until like at least 96. So then Johnny B. Bad comes to the ring for the first match. His entrance theme sounds less James Brown than status quo, quite frankly. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and also the, the sax on it sounds as if lifted from the Benny Hill theme. So it was all kind of very, very strange. Status quo mixed with Benny Hill for a guy who's supposed to be a rock and roll kind of guy. I'm absolutely sure this was written by michael hayes and probably performed by michael hayes as well i would think <laughs> is he trying to get heel heat in the studio is that what he's trying to do 
probably. But yeah, he, he did a lot of those theme tunes at that period of time. And I know he had a feud with Johnny B. Bad just prior to this, I think. And he got rehired by WCW at the time because he was doing a lot of production work after the Freebirds run. And then that was before he went to WWE. I'm absolutely sure he did a lot of the music. Jimmy Hart did a lot of the music in this time period, but Michael Hayes did a fair bit of it as well. So I'm pretty sure the original Johnny B. Bad theme, at least, was written by Michael Hayes. Hmm. So yeah, Johnny B. Bad and Lord Steven Regal face each other for the TV title. Regal defending the title. This is a 11-minute match, and it ends when Bad wins with a bat backside to win the title uh, james let's ask let's go to you what did you think of this i love this match because it's got steven regal in it and what struck me about this match was how much johnny b bad wrestled like steven regal because they must have wrestled each other a million times by that point and there is a point where johnny b bad uses a cross buttock not a hip toss an actual cross buttock which is kind of real steven regal move it's an old school British wrestling move where instead of using the momentum of lifting somebody and of course American wrestlers would jump to go with the flip you just kind of like power them over your hip hence cross buttock and that was right why is he doing that he's the American one that was a bit weird and there was some bits and pieces that were a little bit sloppy but Johnny Bad was not a bad wrestler as far as this was concerned and he's wrestling Steven Regal so he's not going to look bad but it was just a bit interesting at the time because of like the character that Steven Regal had developed which was this blue-blooded heel and still I love the way he kind of like incorporated the roughhouse style of like Wigan wrestling that he was brought up on into it there's lots of gym breaks in it there's lots of the older Wigan guys from like the snake pit and stuff like just grinding his forehand into his nose and that kind of horrible heel stuff which is what gets heat and which is why he's like the perfect mid-card heel at the time and so I really liked it from that point of view I could understand why it wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea. Oh, man. Well, we've had teams do a lovely breakdown of the wrestling techniques used. So I'm going to start off in a similar vein and say that there was a man holding a terrible We Love WCW sign that was done in crayon. <laughs> and and like it was four bits of A4 paper taped together at weird angles. Regal comes down with fantastic facials, a facial expression of like he's just done a fart and it stinks. And he's wearing a lovely wig. And Tony Shaviri says, do they wear this in polo and cricket? Now, I mean, fucking hell. Come on. And then Heenan has to go, I don't know. I've never watched polo. And I'm like, what? What the fuck's going on here? USA chance, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As it goes on. And uh, there's a joke about uh, wherever this is about, I've been here for a little while and almost everyone has shoes on, Heenan says. Which I I didn't really understand, to be honest, but I thought it was all right. Um, I I thought, and kind of you touched on this, James, I thought the clunky bits really took away from this. They did, did them, trying to do a series of monkey flips that, yeah. it looks like, it looked like me and Tinky having a brawl after a couple of pints, which wouldn't really happen, but that's what it would look like. <laughs> <laughs> there is a and they don't show it from the angle but so sir william comes out with uh regal and regal's had a little bit of a rough time not really but he um he goes outside the ring and sir william's there and then you just see regal look up and old mark marrow comes flying over the top rope and i wanted to know whether he'd run and left or whether he just like flipped. Yeah. yeah and I really wanted to know because it looks fucking great he lands it really well and then Regal has like there's a little series where he's hitting Mero he's just hitting him like he's just really roughing him up which I thought was I thought it was a bit much because it looked like 
on Warren Marrow really wasn't very well prepared for it. But overall, the match, I didn't really like the schmoz leading to the finish, yeah. but it was at least clean. I thought it wasn't bad. I think I was a bit disappointed because we seem to use it as a WCW name. Johnny B. Bad have some have a cracking couple of matches. And as much as Spring Stampede, I think it is, Tinky, is really excellent. I'm really very good. And he's the curtain switcher there as well. Regal's obviously Regal is very good. I, was, I think I was a bit disappointed with this, but probably unfairly so, because those clunky, those few clunky moments really took it out of me. I think I'm sort of around about the same place as you, old man. I thought it was decent, but I don't know. There just was something about it. It didn't really, it didn't really pick up at all. That was, that was, I think, my issue. I, I don't, and not that I'm expecting anything, you know, too flat but I, I i just thought that this needed especially in the last few moments it it, it needed to pick up the pace which it kind of did but then even when it did the finish felt a little bit out of nowhere yeah, like, yeah. and and a li- and also possibly as well a little bit predictable which is perhaps a contradiction in terms but because they just done two near falls from pinfall combinations mm. so then when they did the third one it just felt like obviously he was going to win but at the same time felt very anticlimactic so yeah i was i was a little disappointed but i thought it was a, a decent wrestling match to start the show and put it put it this way it's the kind of match where i think given that it's the opening match and it was decent enough that everything would have been fine if the rest of the show was really 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 good but mm. without that it, it just kind of stood stood out as just a kind of quite in line with with a lot of the, the rest of the show i thought which was just that it was t- it was getting to somewhere and then just didn't really quite reach the heights that it looked like it was gonna gonna hit at one point or another sir william is bill dundee who's a kind of a veteran wrestler again sort of t- t- uh, memphis and kind of those areas southern wrestling southern wrestling as uh, tom might, <laughs> might, might try and call it his his actual real name is william cruikshanks which is yeah. uh, interesting he's scottish apparently old uh, old um bill dundee his son was one of the pg-13 who uh, briefly wrestled in wwe he's part of the nation of domination and his daughter married one of the best wrestlers of all time bobby eaton Wow. He also didn't smarten his kids up until they were teenagers. So, like, wrestlers would go around to his house for booking meetings even the heels that he was wrestling against when he was a baby face and Jamie would wander into the kitchen and see them all sat around the table and he would go they're asking me to join him so what do you think I should do and say, <laughs> that's beautiful that's Which mad isn't it explains Jamie Dundee <laughs> so after this uh, Shivoni talks about what happened at a recent clash of the champions with Flair and a masked man the masked man attacking Hulk Hogan after Flair said he had a surprise for Hogan so are you telling us that the man in the mask James is Arn Anderson the guy that moves exactly like Arn Anderson has the same build as Arn Anderson and does everything that Arn Anderson does. Yeah, that's Arn Anderson. Oh, I can't believe it. Can't believe you gave that away. I was going to watch the next show to see what happened after this. Also, Flair being suspended. During this, this is where the fans chant, We want Flair. We then see footage of Class of the Champions where Hogan faces losing his title by forfeit if he doesn't wrestle and Hogan coming out with a bad leg uh, before being attacked by the pair. The commentators speculate who was behind the mask. And obviously, James, their, their minds weren't working as fast as you were. Clearly not, because I went. Oh, it's Arn Anderson. <laughs> so then Gene Oakland advertises the WCW hotline, which was pretty much his main job in WCW from what I can tell. Before we get the next match, which is Kevin Sullivan and Cactus Jack in a loser leaves WCW match, which strangely lasts only just over six minutes and ends when, as Dave Sullivan attempts to stop Kevin Sullivan from using a steel chair, Cactus charges in, but Kevin moves and Cactus runs into Dave and then Sullivan 
pins Cactus Jack to bring down the end of Cactus Jack's time in WCW. Old man. <laughs> so, right. Okay. So, they, as they should, I don't know why, they, I, they, we've had this before, I don't know why they're fighting, don't know why Foley's going to leave if he loses, not really, under, not, not really sure, but they start off fucking hot, these lads, to be fair to them. Foley takes a horrid bump from the top rope to the concrete from Kevin Sullivan, it's ghastly, there's no, he doesn't sell it, they ain't got time for selling, they got six minutes, <laughs> and they're going to get all that shit that they want to get in, they're going to get it all in. They've only got six minutes, because fucking Hogan and Flair are going to fucking suck each other off for half hour <laughs> later on in the show. Foley then takes another horrid bump, a back bump, on the concrete, which looks horrible. Then there's the chair stuff at the end, and then Foley loses, and then it's done. No one cares. Like, it's really weird. Like, Kevin Sullivan laughs, and then it's all just done. Mick Foley looks a little bit sad, and then they go straight back to the commentators. Foley, I couldn't tell if he was the hero. I, I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on, to be honest. But what's the fucking point? I just think, oh, this was terrible. But this was Kevin Sullivan, wasn't it? He loves a fucking loser leaves town match. <laughs> <laughs> was this the punishment for Cactus Jack spitting on the tag team title belt in ECW, James? Do you do you rem- no, remember? Do you know a lot about this match? Because Foley wrote about it in uh, Have a Nice Day a lot. He just literally got off the plane. He'd been wrestling in Austria for auto events in CWA. And he just had an eight-hour flight. Um, the only thing they said to each other before they went out was, Kevin, you're going to have to throw me off the top rope to the floor. And that was that spot where he landed on the concrete floor. And Kevin said, should I stand on the floor of the apron? And he looked at him and went, you're five foot two, Kevin. <laughs> You'll never reach me. <laughs> so no, it wasn't punishment. But Mick had decided to leave because he felt he was he wasn't being used correctly and the breaking point was when pretty wonderful won the tag team titles from kevin and cactus who had been told they were going to go all the way with you guys for the tag team titles you're gonna have a big long run and in the next tv taping pretty wonderful were doing promos about how they'd beaten cactus and kevin before they'd beaten cactus and kevin so at that point mick was like bye (laughs) and then that's where they booked this match but basically it was a bit of a mess because they didn't really have time to plan it properly and also it was just like the bosses at wcw told mick he could just go wrestle for anybody he wanted to until you know his contract ran out we don't need you for tv taping so so what his heart wasn't really in it but he kind of wanted it to be a bit of a big send-off but it really didn't work out the way it did i liked it for what it was because at least they got everything in that they were trying to get in but it is rushed i am i give Foley my man of the card my mvp just because of like the bumps he took to try and get over the issue that about the baby face and who was healing baby face was kevin was supposed to be the baby face that was the idea and cactus was supposed to be the heel but cactus wanted to be a baby face when he left the country's company so he could sell t-shirts on the indies that was his whole idea mm-hmm. It's like, I've got to stay babyface. And he was kind of mulling it over in a dressing room. And Rick Bridges went, it's Kevin Sullivan. He's the least sympathetic person in wrestling. Of course, he's going to be at the heel. You don't have to worry about it. Just just turn up. And he said, what about Dave Sullivan? And Rick went, yeah, but even the fans know he's terrible. So don't worry about it. It'll be all right. And that's the kind of attitude Mick had, which meant he wasn't wrestling as a heel, even though they were kind of portraying him as a heel. I also have testicular time with David, with Evad Sullivan. <laughs> He's in, undoubtedly, the worst match 
I ever saw, which was at Starcade 92 in the Tokyo Dome. And uh, Ben will love this. He's wrestling Scott Norton. <laughs> of course, it's the worst match I've ever seen. <laughs> Scott picks him up for a body slam, but grabs his tights at the front, not the side. So he exposes the business, as it were. And um, Dave wrestles the rest of the match with his business in front of 64,000 people at the Tokyo Dome, hanging loose, as it were. <laughs> and me and Alex reviewed that for the Troopany show, and Alex agreed that it was the, absolutely the worst match either of us have ever seen. And and it's just sad because there's just this ball sack, which they haven't edited out on the New Japan World, by the way. If you want to go, if you subscribe to New Japan World and go find it, you can see that match if you wish to see that kind of thing. Not recommending you do. It's sad because there's a ball sack. Is that literal or figurative or both? Both. <laughs> just sad. I have a lot of problems with this match. I think, first of all, this is a six match card. It lasts for two and a half hours. So you've got some time. You can yeah. you can give them, especially as one of your matches, it's 35 seconds long. It's the US title match which we've already spoken about. So you can give these guys some time and you should because presumably it's the conclusion of a feud because it's a loser leaves WCW match and presumably you've decided that that means something to people because otherwise you wouldn't have booked it for your pay-per-view so if you're going to have a loser leaves WCW match at the conclusion of a, of a storyline and a feud and you're going to be in that match saying goodbye to somebody who's been with the company for what three four years by this point you ought to give it a little bit of something not just maybe the match itself but also the post-match where basically it's immediately an afterthought like it's this is AEW levels of moving on before anyone's had a chance to digest it it's just oh that match has happened Cactus Jack is gone right next up and it's like what what's going on it's really really stupid I just always think that if you're gonna any kind of stipulation any kind of stipulation no matter whether or not you care about the people in the match or not you should care about the stipulation enough to present it as important so if you don't care about kevin sullivan or Captain Jack, or Dave Sullivan, or anybody else in this match, and you don't care about this storyline, and Captain Jack is going to go anywhere at the company, so you don't care about anything to do with him. You should care about loser leaves WCW matches, so that in the future you can book them and then be effective. If you poo on them like this, then you're going to effectively make people think they don't really mean anything anyway. They're only a way to ditch wrestlers that no one cares about. It's just really poor decision making, in my in my opinion. And as I said, at the very least, if you've given them six minutes and then they have the match at the very least give Cactus Jack the chance the cameras to dwell on him for a few moments after the match for him to put his arm up get maybe a couple of people clapping and then move on but they just they just instantly move on straight past it and for me it's just really really poor I think as well you've got like expectations set like Cactus and Kevin as a tag team were the violent tag team they wrestled the nasty boys and there were shovels and tables and they'd had these massive epic brawls that were really really good so you're like well they hate each other now so it's got to be more violent than that because it's those two going against each other and it just whilst it was violent it wasn't like that level of violence that you expected from Kevin Sullivan and Cactus Jack. Well, Cactus Jack had also, like he'd had his match with Vader, or he'd had a series yeah. of matches with Vader prior to this. I've seen a match with him against Paul Orndorff not too long ago for I think from another pay-per-view of the same sort of time period where Cactus Jack takes some mental bumps in that as well. But it's a really it's a really good match. Actually, I thought it was a really good example of why Cactus Jack was really good because he really thinks about the violence that's going on. It never feels convoluted. It always feels like it when it happens, it feels like it's 
it's organically happened as opposed to someone going right i'm going to set this spot up now yeah. so I, I just think um this is just yeah it's just really poor and and let's also remember kevin sullivan would still be a very important heel for wcw for at least the next year you know he's he's basically hulk hogan's main rival towards the end of 1995 with his dungeon of doom so again even if the only thing you care about is making out that kevin sullivan's just got this great victory at least focus on that basically this is wrestling where you are doing nothing to get any value out of it and that's silly to me you should always be in a position where you can get something from the match other than just well we've done that now let's sweep it under the carpet it's done we'll go and do something else so next up backstage gene oakland interviews the stud stable which is Haku, Bunkhouse, Buck, Arn Anderson, Terry Funk, and of course, Colonel Robert Parker. Uh, Robert Parker is apparently being told that he will be in the War Games match, although they do seem to be uh, uncertain as to whether they can get him out of it. Their rules, as we mentioned earlier on, for that War Games are apparently I quit, which we find during this interview. So they're doing this interview, and Robert Parker is acting surprised about this, and then panicking. I understand that. The trouble is, is that they then have the video before the main event where they announce this. And I'm like, don't do this interview. You don't need to. You don't need to do this interview the way that it's done. It's just really fucking strange to throw in the surprise element. I'm a casual fan watching 38 years later. Like, <laughs> I, I want that surprise. I'm going to surprise you even more, old man. It's 28 years ago. <laughs> 52 years ago this, this show 746 years ago this show took place and they've still ruined the surprise for you bastards but this is i think that's quite a feature of wcw in general i i there's just something about their storytelling they just don't get right for me and it's always that the order seems to be messed up yeah. they always seem to have forgotten that they've done things in the past or that they've just ignored it i'm going back to the, f- the second episode we ever did which was sold out in 1997 ddp on that show does the same thing to the nwo that he'd done two weeks previous to that on nitro where he pretended to join them and then didn't like why are you doing it again you've already done it like we're just it's just stupid yeah that was kind of the joy of being a wcw fan at the time and but it's it, weird it's weird because it's not specific to eric bischoff's time as no. the guy in charge of wcw it would happen prior to that it would happen after it it's just i don't get it i just don't get why they can't at the very least wrestling storytelling is so easy i just don't understand why they find it so hard when i say easy i'm not saying it's easy to get it to to make money out of it by the way but i'm just saying to to actually tell a logical story with with every step leading to the next it's really easy i blame mike graham because he was the only executive who was there through the whole thing he was there through bischoff he was there through everybody else that's uh eddie graham's son the florida promoter then he came as part of the company what about kevin sullivan kevin sullivan wasn't always booking though he wasn't his political weight went up and down whereas mike graham was constant all the time he was kind of like the gopher producer but he was the gopher producer for everybody so he was the institutional knowledge so he was the guy that kind of should have remembered that you did this angle two weeks ago don't do it again so then we get all the stuff about Ricky Steamboat and Steve Austin ahead of their of the Jim Duggan beating Steve Austin in 30 seconds nonsense before we get match number four. Although, actually, before we get match number four, we get a little bit of a blacktop bully in the uh, front row. Uh, he was he was previously shown on screen as well during the William Regal, sorry, Stephen Regal, Johnny B. Bad match 
in the crowd. This is the former Smash slash Repo Man, Blacktop Bully, who's in the front row of the crowd and gets taken away by security halfway through the show. It's really weird. He doesn't actually do anything. They, I assume that they're introducing him to WCW at this point. Perhaps he's come in as another one of Hogan's old mates. I don't know. And yeah, he sort of comes in, does his bit, and then you don't see him. But he's just in the front row of the crowd and they they lead him away. That was his second WCW run because he was crusher crush Jeb with the Russian. Yeah. So I think he came in off the back of that. I need a job. I've worked for you before. I'm reasonably competent. <laughs> you have done this once <laughs> or twice before. Yes. I found it quite odd because I didn't, I mean, fair play to them, they got me because I didn't know whether it was real or not. Hmm. I was just like, what's going on? What's going on? But then, like you said, because he gets lobbed out halfway through the show, I was like, oh, it's not real then. Oh, sorry, it's real. Like, this is a genuine fan who's trying to cause trouble. And I was like, oh, well, he's been thrown out then. And to be fair, Shivani sounds easy. That fan's been eliminated. Shivani sounds so young on this. He sounds like he's a high school kid compared mm. to the room now. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what else to say to that. You're right. What did you make of the commentary here? Because obviously Bobby Heenan's there as well. And this is very early Bobby Heenan in WCW. And I, I couldn't decide whether I was okay with the way Bobby Heenan did his work here or still think he's phoning in a little bit. I think he's on the phone all night, every <laughs> night that I've heard him in WCW. And I think Shivone is perennially pissed off. That's what I thought. And every time the camera goes to them, Shivone is always looking off to the side. He's obviously getting some instruction from somewhere. And he just looks like he wants to die. <laughs> <laughs> Is that is that because like the D level announcer Eric Bishop is suddenly vice president of the company? <laughs> He's got to listen. Yeah, to probably. <laughs> so the next match is for the WCW Tag Team Titles is pretty wonderful, which is Paul Orndorff and Paul Roma against Stars and Stripes, the Patriot and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Can I just ask a question, right? Is Buff Buff Baggers is he the most versatile performer of all time? <laughs> Explain your thinking there, old man. So we've seen him play so many different parts. Like, he's a patriot here. He was just a muscle guy in another match. Then he was in the NWO, and he wasn't in the NWO. And he blew a raspberry. I mean, <laughs> the guy's got it all. He's got it all. What it's range? Tough. Yeah. But you know what? I'll tell you what, right? They're all joking aside. They fucking lean on him, don't they? They really lean on him, like, mm. through a lot of this period of WCW that we've watched. Yeah, I feel a bit bad for Bagwell because he's got a pretty low reputation amongst wrestling fans, at least, and probably amongst people in the business. But he was, you know, he came in, he must have been about 22, 23 when he first turned up in WCW and was then on screen for, like, 10 years, basically, as part of WCW. Yeah. And... Like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, I guess. Partially that, first of all, he never got work after about the age of like 32, 33. I don't even know if, I think he may have been briefly in TNA, but barely at all. And you're like, you know, this is a guy who had 10 years of mainstream wrestling experience. He was a relatively big name. People knew who he was. He was recognizable. He had a certain amount of charisma to him. He had a good look. He had pretty much everything. He wasn't a brilliant wrestler, but I don't think he was bad at all. I don't think he was no, a bad wrestler. No. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird one, Bagwell. I don't really know what the hell happened. I mean, obviously, he got a reputation with WWE management as being a, a troublemaker, but other than I mean, he couldn't have been that bad. He, he was in WCW for a long time. I'm sure if he was such a big dickhead, someone would have someone would have sacked him well, long, long before. Yeah, I mean, he, he had well, a, a renaissance on the Indies last year until someone found out that his social media manager was the person running his Twitter account, not him. 
because he was kind of like you know he came over as a social media star because he had some pretty right on opinions and that kind of gelled well with indie wrestling fans and gcw booked him for their battle royal at wrestlemania weekend and then everyone found out it wasn't him and he was like oh he's off again (laughs) i think that's the story of bagwell's life it's like he can have a hot period for about six months and then you know because how many tag teams was he in at this minute american males stars and stripes was him and too cold as well world tag team champions too weren't they so you know and with scott steiner after this as well so he was like he was kind of like the go-to tag team guy he was the arn anderson of his generation in that sense of like just constantly stick him in a tag team he'll be okay but yeah i don't know why the x factor didn't quite hit with him to the uh, to the traditional fans out there it was james Trupenny who compared buff bagwell to arn anderson not myself <laughs> yeah. of that era he was <laughs> i'm not saying he's like as good as arn anderson i'm saying nope. What they did with it. Don't try and roll it back now, James. We all heard you. It's out there. It's in the public domain. <laughs> so this is, yeah, Pretty Wonderful versus Stars and Stripes. It's a 13-minute match. It ends when Patriot gets the hot tag, but the referee doesn't see it. And as the referee is trying to get Patriot out of the ring, Paul Orndorff pile drives Bagwell on the outside. Orndorff then rolls Bagwell into the ring and Paul Roma pins him. Oh man, what did you make of this tag team contest? The, tro- the commentators are trying hard to put over the fact that Pretty Wonderful are scared of this match because some other people have lost their titles. That at night like, they lean on this for about 40 seconds and they're like oh uh, Johnny B. Bad lost his title or whoever some cunt lost his title some other cunt lost his title and they're like I mean they must be thinking it's a bad night they must be scared I'm like Paul Orndorff Mr. Iderful <laughs> and Paul Rumor, like I don't think they're worried. He and then they they start pretty hot in this man. Says this is the greatest pay per view I've ever been a part of, and I'm just thinking back. I'm like, what? What? Like you just want the the stuff with Duggan wins the US title. You just see Mick Foley basically jobbed out and then shit out. Apparently they say later on in the show, and I wonder if it's true. He leaves through the front door, doesn't he? Apparently he didn't leave through the back. The start of this kind of set a horrible tone because it takes about four and a half hours for Pretty Wonderful to take their sunglasses off. But then I thought, you know what, actually, they've just had the crowd absolutely explode for Duggan. They've then had Duggan boomed. And I was like, they've probably done a good job of settling them down because there ain't a whole lot of break in between these matches. Heenan then starts digging out WWE by saying that Bagwell, Del Wilkes, Orndorff and Roma, they aren't just bodybuilders they're wrestlers they're not just bodybuilders i'm looking at them and i'm like blackwell's a bodybuilder roma definitely is because he can't work a lit and del wilkes i don't know who he is well i do know who he is but i don't know what he is because uh well obviously as we know tinky he had an unprecedented success in japan he did apparently so yes apparently. according to wwe yeah. that's exactly what he had in japan yeah yeah some success in japan so precedent yeah. precedented is what you're saying james yeah yeah he, he was all right. <laughs> Re- regular level of success yes, in japan. <laughs> This match is effectively Buff Bagwell getting beaten down. It's classic WWF tag team stuff. Classic stuff where you're waiting for the big guy, old the Patriot, old Del, the Delbert Wilkes, to get tagged in. And they, to be fair, they tease it quite well, I thought, through the match. And then I felt like the um, the tag really worked. But Patriot's not lobbed down. 
he drops a couple of cracking drop kicks for a big old unit. He, um, then obviously Bagwell gets pile driven on the floor. And I just thought the end looked a bit off as well because it felt like Dale Wilkes could clearly have broken up the pin. But I thought this was okay. And I was a bit disappointed because for some reason I thought this is going to be really good. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I th- I'm, I'm with you again on this old man I, again it felt like it got to a certain level and then never got over that level mm. it's kind of like the the, the opener like it, it felt like it was could be something really good and just never really got there it was fine it was I'd even say a little bit better than average just a little bit but just didn't go any further just didn't really kind of kick into that sort of fourth gear where you're like right okay now we're really cooking on gas but I thought everyone was pretty competent in this I, I remember a few years later paul roma had a tryout for wwe again to go back to them and didn't end up going back they decided to pass on him and this was at the point where we've talked about that roster of like 97 98 when the wwf roster was really thin and even then paul roma couldn't they decided they didn't have anything valuable for paul roma to do but i actually thought he was quite good here i i think paul orndorff is a is a better wrestler as well than perhaps his wwf mm. time um suggests and bagwell i think he's again here he looks really good he's he's all you know he's properly like high-paced athletic really like working hard but some reason just didn't quite make it to that really decent high level but still fine it, it was fine it was it was a, it was perfectly fine but just not not amazing yeah i feel like if they'd got a hot tag and then another lull and then another hot tag i think they could have had some really crack in here another three four minutes i think it would have been really good but i guess that's the thing isn't it you don't get a hot tag because the patriot gets the hot tag but the referee says that he hasn't tagged so you don't really get one yeah yeah i mean i i did like this match i think again it is it, you're right in the sense of it just a lot of the stuff on this card just didn't kick into high gear I liked it because it was like <laughs> Global Wrestling Federation, which was what came after the USWA. They tagged together in that because Bagwell was the handsome stranger. He was a junior heavyweight and Patriot was their number one star. And they were there until Joe Pettuccino ran out of money and then they went to WCW. But it, again, yeah, it's just, there's nothing nothing wrong with it. Perfectly fine. It's kind of an old Southern tag match and was all right, but I can't really say anything more about it. It just didn't quite click to the next level. One thing that it did say to me, though, is that WWE at the time were scrabbling around for tag teams a little bit here. Yeah. Because Orndorff and Roma and Patriot and Bagwell both feel like quite random pairings. I know they've got team names and they've got matching outfits, which is at least half the battle, but they do feel quite random in terms of them being thrown together. And bearing in mind that this was a time, I know that the Road Warriors, I think it was, was it Animal who wasn't wrestling at this time? And yeah. Hall was off in Japan. The Steiners, I think, were also doing their thing in Japan. They just left the WWF. But historically, WCW had had a just absolute plethora of great tag teams. It feels a little bit like they're suddenly in a position where they've got none anymore. And that kind of is backed up by the fact that the Nasty Boys are in the main event. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were the best tag team they had at the time. But Harlem Heat hadn't formed at this point, had they? No. Don't know. Don't know. Maybe. Or they, yeah, because their original run was as Cole and Kane, where they wore chains to the ring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Under <laughs> under Colonel Robert Parker. Yes. Yes, because it's just the ideal image you want for a wrestling company based in Atlanta. Bloody hell. I could have always forget that that was a thing. Oh, dear. I'm sure Glenn Jacobs would have loved it. Anyway, moving on. Um, 
the next thing we get is a promo where we've got Gene Oakland with Dusty, Dustin Rhodes and the Nasty Boys. Now, I've got to be honest, I didn't take a single note here. I don't know if that's because what they said was pointless or just that I couldn't get anything down. Now, my notes just say Nasty Dream interviews. That's all I wrote down. Mm, nasty dream. <laughs> yeah. So I had the nasty boy shouting, Dustin Reynolds Rhodes a bit there, and all the time they're talking Dusty Rhodes, the nasty dream, just staring the camera out, just staring the camera. Out. And then I thought his um promo was actually very good because he mentions about screening like a pig. The trouble was was so with the nasty boys as well twice mentioned about screening like a pig, and I was like, it's fucking deliverance. Is happening yeah. here. That's only bumming someone here. And I thought that's not an image <laughs> I want. And I really thought that the nasty lads and Dustin Ronald's Rose were just trying too hard in the background. Oh, nasty dream, just got to bang on. Just got to bang on. He's just staring the camera out and he's just waiting for his chance to speak. Knocks out of the park and then off we go. Well, I'm going to name right now Dusty as my MVP of the night. Um, mm-hmm. Not for this, not for this, but for the build up to the main event, there's a video package. And within that, Dusty, on a couple of occasions, delivers some excellent promos that really do cut through with emotion and, mm-hmm. and kind of anticipation. He gets the crowd going. The bit where he's talking to Dustin in the ring and saying to him, you know, I don't I'm not I don't want to I don't want you to ask me to be a partner. I just want you I just want you to to hug me, basically. And then, you know, make it clear that I'm here for you and all that stuff. And I thought that was really, really good. So that was excellent stuff mm. Dusty and so for me that actually kind of got me into that War Games match more because of that video package where he was kind of delivering those promos and then also going into the bar and speaking to the Nasty Boys and recruiting them into the team kind of it just felt I just thought it, it felt really good I thought he was just really really excellent in those two promos which admittedly didn't happen on this night but ultimately because I saw them as part of the show he is my MVP of the night he is wrestling's great cinematic thinker you could see like he pointed it out like a sports movie or a kind of like war games is kind of like the wild bunch for wrestling that's what war games is isn't it like and his this is his wild bunch moment this is his sam peck and par moment of gather these unlikely heroes together to go take on the big bad and that's that's cool yeah i also i know that they show the video before the moment i thought the stuff with him and dustin reynolds Rhodes in the ring was fan fucking fantastic i thought that was absolute gold and i like i never actually thought about it because i watched them independently of each other it really did add a lot of gravitas to that main event and made me kind of I, I liked the way that as well Dusty acted in the main event when Dustin Ronald Rhodes was in the ring and he was having a bit of a tough time just selling the emotion in his face and there's obviously this whole thing that they don't really get on that's kind of like alluded to before they reconcile great stuff like you said earlier Tinky it's easy isn't it it is easy it's easy yeah you'd too easy if anything wrestling stories don't require you to tell stories in a really really you know, innovative and original way, but they just need to make sense from chapter to chapter and people will invest in them. Mm. Uh, Yeah. I've said this a million times, but just wrestling just needs to be like the Rocky films. The Rocky films are really simple in terms of telling a basic story between two men who are building up to a match. You know, it might be that it's the underdog against the champion. It might be that it's the big rematch. It might be that it's the latest young contender coming through. It might be that someone's trying to get revenge for their friend that didn't, was injured or in the case of Rocky 4 
died. But the point is, it's just really simple. They're really, really simple stories and they're not hard to tell at all. And I think that's why, and as I said, I'm not saying it's easy to make money from them, but it is easy to tell the stories. The money then comes a bit more easily as well if people are expecting you to tell these stories and and then see them through to a conclusion that's satisfying. Can I just say apologies to any listeners for the spoiler from Tinky for Rocky (laughs) Four? I mean, fucking hell, mate. Old man's just annoyed because now he has been spoiled for him he'll never be able to watch it now <laughs> you know what i've never watched it oh man i watched i watched the first rocky and i thought you know what that was pretty bloody good that and then thought now oh, cool i'm done with that <laughs> it's the, it's the best booked series of films ever best wrestling booked series of films ever mm-hmm. interesting um, that's quite well, an interesting uh Although, if you want a great television show that books really well from a wrestling perspective, Cobra Kai is the place to go. Mm. Cobra Kai books, writes the show as if it's a wrestling promotion. Each each week you get a, a kind of main match between two people and you build to it and there's loads of stories in it. It's, it's great. It's brilliant. It's great wrestling-based storyline TV show. I don't know how, how better to say it than that. But yeah, I recommend it for all wrestling fans. So, what have we got left? Well, first of all, we've got an advert for Halloween Havoc which we are told Muhammad Ali is set to be on hand for which is pretty pretty big deal they've also they do make out that it's going to be the biggest show ever um and not only that but this is before they've announced Flair versus Hogan in the steel cage in the main event so clearly they've got big ambitions for Halloween Havoc here then there's some hype for what we're called what we're told is a triangle match which includes documenting Vader's feuds against both the Guardian Angel or the Big Boss Man and Sting and asking questions about what happened, what will happen when Sting and the Guardian Angel have to square up to one another. Now, before we get to the match, so this was, as I said, positioned as a triangle match. Now, I have seen a triangle match before at Starcade 95, but it's not at all like this. It's not... <laughs> It's got completely different rules. That match is basically a triple threat match, but the difference being is that one of the three men has to be outside the ring and has to tag in and out, like like a tag team match, but basically is the three different singles yeah. wrestlers. This, however, is something entirely different and is basically just a tournament, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's just yeah, a tournament yeah. with someone getting a bye to the final and the other two having to wrestle to get to the final against that person. It's for the number one contendership and the two men that have to fight each other there are the guardian angel and vader sting gets a bye straight through to the final it's a half an hour match so i'm not going to go through it at all but basically what happens is that they the rules are that there's a 15 minute time limit for the opening match or the opening fall if you like between the vader and the guardian angel if they go through that they then get another five minutes of overtime and if they go through that it goes to sudden death where the winner has to knock the other one off their feet and that's the same rules for the second fall as well the winner of the first fall will take on sting who's gone through as a bye confused yet yes i was too (laughs) And, and then so what happens is that in the vader guardian angel match guardian angels beaten in like six minutes or so by vader and then we get this kind of quite long match between sting and vader and it ends when sting manages to seemingly to win the match but harley race then decides to get on the ring apron and guardian angel arrives drags harley race away the ref tries to break up the fight and it's at this point sorry that vader goes down the referee doesn't 
don't see it. The masked man, who we don't yet know the identity of, James, don't don't be giving me the spoilers again, then arrives <laughs> and knocks Sting down. And when the ref returns, he sees Vader up and Sting down and calls for the bell. Vader winning the match and being named the number one contender to the WCW title. Yeah, so that, the, re- the reason Vader won that is because they got to the sudden death period in that main event match. As I said, it lasts half an hour, this one. So it's a long old match. Old man, what did you think of it? So let's go. So you've got the old, old big, big Bubba Boss man against Vader, which is exactly what it should be. Lots of power moves. Lots of very impressive power moves, actually. Especially by Big Bubba Boss Man. Guardian Angel. Let's give him a Guardian Angel. Let's give him his proper name. Because he power slams Vader at one point, completely no-sold by the commentators, which I found astonishing. Like they've been bigging up like these tiny little things that he was trying he was doing to him, and then he power slams him and he's like, Yeah, that's all right then. And they yeah, they have their match. There's the Bubba Slam, which Vader just completely no-sells. But then there is the Harley Race headbutt. And then there's the Vader bomb. Lovely old Vader bomb. And then and then we get the real fucking main event, lads. Old Sting coming out. Good pop. He's already been shown, so I get it. But why didn't they put his music on? Like, just put his fucking music on. Get that pop even louder. Like, it's not fucking yeah. difficult, is it, you silly twats? Well, that's the other thing I didn't mention. Sorry to interrupt you, old man. But before the start of the match, all three men are out. And they do a mm. three-way coin toss where they say that the two people who get the same thing from the, the coin test will, will start the match. And I'm like, well, what if they all get the same thing? What if they all flip oh. heads? What, what's, <laughs> what, what's, the, what's the idea then? So again, one of these situations where let's just not have a fucking coin toss in front of the camera, shall we? Let's just have, yeah. you say you did a coin toss before the match and the first two are and then announce them and Sting doesn't even have to come out then until his mm. time for him and then he gets the pop when he does come out. Stupid, isn't it? But it doesn't take away. I mean, I to be honest, I have an enormous amount of notes for this. For this like twenty minute, I thought this was fucking brilliant. This was. I remember when we watched Steamboat Flare. Tinky mm. can't remember the show. The Spring Stampede '94. Yes, of course it was. Yeah, because that was the one bum note for me was that main event. And you said you like Flare does this thing where with his face where you're like, I get it. I can get why people think he's so great. This was it was Sting for me. And this we've talked about Vader enough on this podcast so I don't necessarily need to put over how fucking amazing he is but they have a fucking barn burner for 20 what 21 22 minutes or something like that they just it's fucking lovely you've got at the start Vader puts his face mask back on appreciate that because it had come off in the uh, previous match and Vader in a little like collar and elbow tie pushes Sting down three times and Sting just walks at him and Vader backs down and I'm like, right, they're going to make fucking Sting look fucking gold here. And I was a little bit worried at this point that they were just going to not steamroll Vader, but kind of not not give us what we got, which was what I was hoping for. Because Vader then just beats down Sting. Sting is getting all the fucking sympathy from the crowd. He's selling like an absolute fucking champ. He does one splash Vader to him, and then the second splash is stopped by Sting. And at this point, I don't know how far we are in. We're probably only about four or five minutes in, and I'm like, ah. Oh, and then they just go on and on. I just go back and forth. Sting does a top rope splash that looks absolutely incredible. There's a Vader moonsault missed, but oh man, one <laughs> absolute man. There's a superplex by Sting to Vader that looks extraordinary because it looks like, and Vader's obviously doing a lot of work for him. Doesn't look like he doesn't 
does a thing and then Sting just powers him up. There's a lovely belly to back suplex by Sting yeah. to Vader. That is, oh my God, I almost had a fucking stiffy when that <laughs> happened. And then Vader just, Vader does Vader and just starts walloping Sting. And he's fucking wailing on him. Absolutely wailing on him. And then we, then they start the countdown where you're getting it four minutes, three minutes, two minutes. They don't really know the finish to regulation because uh, old Sting just can't keep Vader in the Scorpion Deathlock. Mm. But we ain't, we ain't worried about that. Because they, they then do the five minutes. And the temptation must always be to just carry on doing what you're doing. When you're, you stay at the crowd, they have me. They have the crowd in the parlor. They sell how tired they are. Oh, it's just fucking great. It's fucking great. This was like the best 20 minutes or so of, rest, of wrestling from something that I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting this to be tremendously good to be honest, because I don't have a very high opinion of Sting. But I thought this was tremendous. I wasn't the biggest fan of the finish because it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me because Guardian Angel had been screwed by Harley Race 23 minutes earlier. Why didn't yeah. he come out earlier? Yeah, that was the one bum thing. Oh, that's great. Match of the night by a fucking distance. I, as you probably guessed, I bloody love this. Loved it. Mm, glowing review from Old Man. Love it. Love it. Yes. James, what was your thought? I'm not quite so glowing. I think it was very good. I thought the Sting Vader sections were very, very good probably tainted by the fact I'd seen so many Vader Sting matches by that point which were better than that one but that sequence is that section is really really good part of the match I had some problems with the actual makeup of the match because I don't agree with you Sam I think Sting should have been in the first match because it doesn't matter who he was against because he's the underdog he's the smallest guy and he's the baby face so he would have have had more sympathy heat at the end of the night I can see where they were trying to go with it because I know what happens next in the booking so it made sense in that sense but for me it was like I think it could have been a hotter match if Sting had gone all the way through and done the full half hour Mm. Uh, I think that and he was more than capable but of all the stuff I've watched Sting do in Impact Wrestling since and WWE and and now in AEW he's having as much fun now as he clearly was then he was having a blast at that point you could tell the matches he was having he was having a good time and enjoying himself and it's taken like 28 years to get back to that point for him because now he's having a blast he you know I was watched the we watched the Rampage match for this week's Troopany show because of Great Muta because the Troopany show has been on a Great Muta voyage this year as it's his last year and we watched that and it's just like he's having so much fun and it looked like he's had he looked like he did 28 years ago he's having as much fun now as he was then and he looks like he's having fun in this match even though he's taking a batter in because big Leon is big Leon and he just hits people really hard that's where he does and that's how he gets over I don't know what to say about this because I think there's a lot of truth in what you say James about Sting should have been probably been out there from the start and and not only that the first six seven minutes whatever it is where Vader and the Guardian Angel fight in was disappointing to me because we saw Vader versus the boss when he was still the boss um on a previous show and that was cracking and I was expecting yeah something similar to that and it just didn't quite get there not only that but I, I watched pretty much this show from the start until the end of this match and then in the second bout I did the Ric Flair Hogan stuff and the the War Games match and I was really tired I basically had a couple of hours where I was able to sit down and watch this and since we had our son I have been kind of like yeah anytime you stop you just suddenly a wave of tiredness completely hits you and watching this was kind of stopping (laughs) and so I kind of got to this match and was really tired and so for the first sort of 
five, ten minutes, I was battling sleep, but not because the match was bad, just because I, I was battling sleep. But it woke me up as the match went on because it was really, really good, really dramatic, really exciting. I was so impressed. This is probably the best I've ever seen Sting. I think I agree with Old Man. I've never seen him mm-hmm. this good. He's in there with Vader, but in fairness, Sting did contribute. I still felt for the majority of the time it was a typical Sting match in that when I watch a Sting match, I don't get the impression that they're really going anywhere with it. It just seems like he's have, he's, he hits a move, his opponent hits a move, then he'll hit a move, then his opponent will hit a move. And I just never really get the impression there's anything holding it together other than how popular Sting is. And I guess that's really still the way Sting does stuff. He's so popular and he gets in there even now in AEW, does three or four moves, then gets out. That's that's all he does. He does there's nothing there's nothing complex about what he's doing. But here, because of the unique rules of the match, which I wasn't a fan of, at least at beginning at the beginning of the night, but as the match went on, because of those rules, it actually got really, really dramatic and really, really intense and exciting. And so at the point where they got to the sudden death period it was legitimately like goosebump kind of tr- drama by that point you're like i know i you know but vader is tailor-made for for a rule where basically you have to hit you have to knock your opponent over because every single blow looks devastating so it looks like sting's going to go down he falls back staggers falls onto the ropes but manages to keep himself up it was just excellent the fans are on the edge of their seat like really really kind of like invested in the end result so i really thought this was excellent Third for them to go 30 minutes for for these three men so i really like vader but the matches i've seen with vader usually if they're good tend to last 15 minutes that's about the limit that i think i've seen anyway from from what he does and sting as i say i've never really been a major fan of but for them to go 30 minutes and for it to be this good i was yeah i was bowled over by it so yeah i i thought it was really really it's definitely my match of the night without a shadow of a doubt um and a really kind of pleasant surprise which i did not expect at all before going in and really happy that it was this good so that is everything on the show. I mean, there is some other stuff. I, I, I tell a lie. There's the build up to the main event, which we've kind of hit upon, but I'm not going to go through it all again. There's a lot of there's, there's the whole Dustin and Dusty Rhodes in the ring, which we've discussed. Oh, well, man wants to say something. I have one thing to say. So we get a clip of Michael Buffer. Mm. He's in the ring and he's basically there. And I'm like, oh, he's going to do the ring announcement for the main event. So he's there. He welcomes the war games he says that it's basically exactly the same as war which i must say i found extremely hard to believe <laughs> i've never been to war or war games but i know which one i prefer to go to and he's there and he does his thing and he does it well lovely old job well done michael and then he goes he's just gone and i was like what so we get gary michael capetta who is when he's tidy he's tidy he isn't anything more than that but when he's bad he is fucking awful stumbling <laughs> over his words he was for a couple of the entrances for the main event but yeah very strange like, like i remember when they had him for their main event later on in wcw's run apparently they were paying him 50 grand a pop yeah to come in and do the main events and and i don't know whether this is true and flying him in first class I mean, yeah yeah to add to add no value to your business is absolute nonsense isn't it? I'm say to give you an idea of like what was going on for like wrestling at the time, the Steiner brothers were on ten grand a night for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So that will tell you like the Steiners having a main event match, twenty grand. Michael Buffer to come in for a thirty yeah. second announcement, fifty grand. I mean to think that you felt that it was important to have Michael Buffer on your shows. <laughs> and and important enough to pay him that much. 
And they wouldn't just mm. use him for the pay-per-views either. They were using him for Nitro most weeks from memory as well. Like, it yeah. wasn't just for the pay-per-views. Actually, I was going to stand up for Gary Michael Capetta before we even started talking about it. Because in May of the following year, uh, Capetta was released by WCW for budget cut reasons. And I was like, you've got Michael fucking Buffer. He's probably making more money than mm. Michael Gary Michael Capetta every every night. Capetta had also I've got a bit of a soft spot for him because he had been in he'd been WWF's main um, ring announcer from the mid seventies right through to the just before WrestleMania one. And that's when Howard Finkel kind of took over. But he he'd been like a really long tenured ring announcer at through you know major promotions as well. WWF, I think he was in the AWA for a bit uh, and obviously WCW as well so I was gonna I was gonna stand up for old Gary Michael Capet because I felt a little bit bad when I read that about the fact that his is mm. basically been dropped for budget reasons I was like hang on mate <laughs> what he's a good follow on Twitter as well if you're into wrestling history he posts loads of stuff about wrestling history these days and wrote a good book I understand too I might I might check that out because I, I said I'm quite a fan of uh, Gary Michael Capet why me he's sucking him off <sighs> well you know it's just because you basically shot him so I had to, I had to kind of <laughs> to make out to him somehow yeah so after the main event as well we've got Shavoni and Heenan recapping some of the things that took place during the show Gene Oakland joins them as well and they goes on again about the fact that the main event of Halloween Havoc is going to be a cage match you can't believe they've made it a cage match this is an unbelievably ridiculous decision the commentators speculate about Flair and Hogan and also who the person in the mask is and then Oakland announces that a press conference will take place tomorrow with Flair, Hogan and Muhammad Ali as the credits roll so that's our show that was for Raw 1994 so I guess now it's just time to get your overall thoughts on the show and your scores out of 10 let's start with you James like I said, I kind of had rose-tinted glasses for this era of WCW, and I think bits of it were classic WCW on the good side, like the Sting triangle match with Vader and uh, Guardian Angel was kind of like classic WCW of that era, the big match kind of feel that they always had, and it also had, as we've mentioned before, the other WCW were just stuff happening that we forgot about, and we'll ignore it, because it doesn't matter now. So it kind of has both of those things. A lot of the matches just didn't get there. They were good on paper, they were a good idea to book, and they were good stories to tell, but they just didn't finish the stories as well as they possibly could have done. Um, so for that, I'm going to give it a six. Not disappointing, but not maybe up to my expectations in certain areas. It's a real mixed bag, this card, because of my wariness of Hogan era WCW, but it was still enough of the old WCW to make it work for me. So I'm going to give it a six. Oh, man. It's tough, this one, because there were parts that I loathed. Like, I despised the Hogan Flair stuff. I thought it was absolute fucking atrocious. I did not like Foley, Kevin Sullivan. I didn't like the Duggan stuff. But I also didn't like the Duggan stuff because it's Duggan. If that had been another performer in that spot, then I'd have been quite conflicted about it. Like if it had been Duggan relinquishing the title and then Steamboat had come out and done that, I would have been like, ah, oh, you know what, that was actually pretty good and pretty well done. Because they do it very well. It's just I disagree with it incredibly strongly because I don't like Duggan. I effectively never liked him as a performer. But the two main things on this card, like wrestling-wise, away from the Hogan Flair stuff, are the main event which I thoroughly enjoyed and you know what you'd probably watch again I, I had a good time watching it and then you've got the triangle match of which probably half of the uh, Guardian Angel Vader I enjoyed and I absolutely loved so, uh, so I'm going to give this a 7 based on those two matches which is a testament to how good they are because I don't think the rest of the card is well like we've said Tiggy it doesn't quite get to that level but it's not bad 
Like, it's not bad at all. Well done, that in 1994 WCW again. Tinky. Might, it might be your year again. It, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking have it. Gold lads. I'm going to give the show a six. I think it was a strange show. I mean, there's only six matches. One of them lasts half a minute. So it's there's, mm-hmm. there's a strangely lacking in lots of wrestling in some ways and then you have a half an hour match but just later on and a, and a 20 minute war games match as well so it's very kind of up and down it's not really hogan era wcw yet or maybe when i say yet maybe that's not really the truth maybe it's just because hogan's not on the show and they also do fill a load of time with hogan and flair and their their segment which i didn't i didn't hate really i thought it was okay but um it wasn't great but yeah there's there's the very wrestling opening match between johnny Bad and lord Stephen regal there's the decent tag match which is quite again a quite a, i think quite a classic feel to a wcw match for me and then that that elimination triangle match the, the war games match again very kind of typical wcw so it's weird it feels like this is a wcw hogan era pay-per-view which doesn't feel like a Hogan era pay-per-view mm-hmm. to me, um, even though the signs are there that we're becoming that. So Steve Austin's been jobbed out. Cactus Jack is gone, effectively, at the conclusion of this show. Um, and Hogan and Flair are setting themselves up for the main event of Halloween Havoc, so much so that the end point of this show is not the commentators talking about Vader becoming the new number one contender, Jim Duggan becoming the new US title, Johnny B. Bad becoming the new television champion, or indeed Dusty Dustin Rhodes and the Nasty Boyd's victory in the War Games match, they're talking about Hogan and Flair in the cage match at the next pay-per-view as opposed to dwelling on what's happened here. So it's kind of a really interesting show and I'm I'm really eager to watch more of WCW 1994 to see the transition from the old WCW to the new because for me as we said at the time it, Spring Stampede 94 was such a good show and it felt like it was going to be a shame that they were going to move away from that but here on this evidence they haven't humongously moved away from it which I think was a good thing yeah I think as long as Vader was still there you're still going to have that edge to it that's kind of that WCW period and so long as like you know you had those big star quality drama matches it was always going to feel like the old WCW and it was when well Austin was gone after this like a month or so later and then Vader's hung around for another 10 months or so and then that was that well Vader Vader basically disappeared like a week or two before the first episode of Nitro so that kind of is quite telling in terms of what you've just said as well there yeah I think as long as they were around you still had sway that you could still have those big style WCW matches whereas it just didn't happen after they they went occasionally you would get some of it when the New Japan guys came back who wrestled that kind of style but that wouldn't happen for another couple of years yet so it was probably an encapsulation of where the company was at the time in that boundary it was trying to cross like you said it's maybe quite intrigued to watch a bit more of it like I was um when it finished I was like you know what I want to watch Halloween Havoc and then I want to see what happens when the but I assume and James will know better than me if Vader challenges for the title against what will be Hogan because Hogan's career didn't end I think that's what you want from a show isn't it to then think you know what I want to know what happens next actually mm. so that is everything for this week on the Random Wrestling Review we've got through another episode and as I said next week we've got a, a special episode next week and uh, lots of things to talk about as I said the times they are are changing and we'll get to all of that in good time but for now old man thank you for joining me today well thank you very much T- uh, Tinky mentioned uh, Bo- a Bob Dylan song there Don't about Bob Dylan. What have you got to do, kiddos? You got to rate, review, and always remember that Kenny Patera, the sexy minx. <laughs>
I don't imagine he's ever been called that in his entire life before, unless you've done it on this podcast in the past. Sure, yeah. I've never called him a sexy minx. I've called him a sexy bastard, I think. <laughs> and James, thank you for your contributions as well. Thank you very much, sir. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again next week. But until then, take care. Come on.